We're calling this gathering Equipping the Saints, like I mentioned before. We kind of felt a stirring to go out after young adults, but it's for everybody. It's very important that we equip the saints. Many, many, many Christians are walking around ill-equipped, tangentially connected to Jesus, their Lord and King, hanging on, trying to do the best they can until the end comes, and then they can see Jesus and say, thank goodness we're done with this world. And Jesus is trying to change people so that they can get to know him right now. He wants them to be equipped so they are connected with him so that when I come and talk to them, I see Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this once, maybe twice, but a dear friend of mine, and some of you know this guy, shared with me about uh, how close we should be with Jesus. And this stuck with me. I'm hoping it'll stick with you. But he said that we should be so close to Jesus that if a mosquito bites us and flies away, it should be saying there's power in the blood. <laughs> That's how close we should be to Jesus. In John 14 through 18, when Jesus is giving his last words to the disciples, if you read those chapters, you will find Jesus saying, Father, I pray that they be one with me as I am one with you. I pray that we all might be one. Jesus said, if you will keep my commandments, I will come and dwell within you, and my Father will have his abode within you. And the Lord Jesus means for us to be so closely connected to him that we are one with him. And yet the enemy has successfully dropped a vision of Jesus on the church that is so low, most Christians are hanging on rather than victoriously moving forward. And we need to be equipped with the Lord Jesus. We need to be clothed with power from on high to be walking forward and to be conquering rather than to be holding on. And the Lord has stirred that in a bunch of hearts. So the way I've worded that is to be changed from glory into glory into the fullness of the stature of Christ, that Jesus be glorified. Yeah. This is in the scripture, that we be changed that way. And we're going to talk about several things. And over time, I want to try to... Let me see if I can get this to work. Uh, yeah, i got to turn it on. There we go. Now let's try this. Okay. Oh... Oh, did I do? I may have done something wrong. Okay, great. So I'm going to share several things, but I want to start off with this concept of what I call basic equipping. Are you okay, Helen? Okay. Okay. Basic equipping for every saint. Many of us have come to the Lord in different ways and in different paths, but in the scripture, there's a basic starting equipping for every saint. It's a starting equipping that you can get in a half an hour if you're serious. It's not something that you have to wait through a beginner, I'm a junior beginner, I'm a senior beginner, we go through this. This is the foundation stuff everybody's supposed to have. And the first one is that we have to repent of our sins. And I'm, I'm right now going to go through these broadly. We'll talk a lot more about them as we have more sessions. But we need to repent from sin and be set free from the bondage of sin. We need to repent from sin. Jesus, when he talked, it says that Jesus left and his first words were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's absolutely required of us that we repent, that we change direction and say, I have been following my heart. I have been following my desire. And now, Jesus, I see you and I'm changing directions and I'm coming after you all together. I'm coming after you all together. And the things that I used to do, the things that were sin, rebellion, witchcraft, bitterness, strife, sexual immorality, I am forsaking those things. And I am repenting and asking you to forgive me. And I'm following after you. And there is no shortcut to that. And there is no relief from the bondage of sin unless we repent of sin. But the great news is there is relief from the bondage of sin when we do repent. Because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus can break every yoke of bondage. And in Isaiah 61 where it talks about what would the Son of God do? He said he will set the captives free. And we are meant to be set free. Many, many Christians say that they are attached to the Lord but are in bondage to sin in their life. 
Uh, just recently I saw a statistic that floored me from a group called Covenant Eyes that said one out of every five accesses to the internet that's done on a mobile device is for pornography. One out of five. Absolutely horrible. If you watch the news, you're going to walk away going, the world is in an absolutely horrible state. And furthermore, it's spiraling downward rather than upward. Well, the Lord means for us to be lights. The, Samaritan, the, the people came unto Philip and said, we would see Jesus. We are the disciples that need to show Jesus to those people. Jesus is more desperately needed now, in my opinion, than he's ever been. Of course, if I had lived 50 years ago, I'd have probably said the same thing. But he is desperately needed. It's not just that we can do okay. The world is caught up in bondage and doesn't recognize that they're in bondage because they believed a lie. You know, it says that Satan is the deceiver of the brethren. And when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. Because if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. Have you got me? The world is deceived. And they believe life is what they're living. And life is not what they're living. And they comfort and console each other with, well, I have it bad too. You have it bad too. Well, my son's just gone all pot and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't see that. They just console each other with misery. Instead of misery, love, and comfort and company, we want Jesus and the fullness of Jesus to be what people gather around rather than misery. So it's very important that we repent and we can't skip it. I put gossip on the end right next to witchcraft. Very important to repent of gossip. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and convicts us of sin. And if we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, where is there sin in my life? Search my heart, O God, and tell me, where is there be a wicked way within me? He will do it. It's extremely important when he does it that we listen to him because he will do it. And it's very, very important we do not despise his word as common. But when he points it out to us, the Most High has pointed it out to us. And it must be acted on because the Most High has pointed it out to us. So repentance is absolutely key. Can't be skipped. Accepting Jesus as Savior. Everybody in this room I know knows this, that the blood of Jesus washed away our sins. We receive righteousness because he was made unto us righteousness. He who knew no sin has made us righteousness in him. How in the world could he do that? Well, he didn't do it in the world. He did it out of the world. He did what cannot be done. He gave us righteousness because of what he did. He was the mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. He is the propitiation for our sin. He is the payment for our sin. And he must be accepted and recognized that way. He must be accepted and recognized. Now the enemy has what I call a whiteboard trick. Okay, bear with me for a second. But he says, well, the entire Christian life is just walking up with junk on your whiteboard. You've got junk here, bad thoughts, bad stuff you've done, things you've done in secret nobody knows about, things you're not telling your wife about, she might divorce you, things you're not telling your husband about because he might divorce you. You've got things you said about people that you told them somebody else said it, but you said it. You've got all that sitting there. And if you come to Jesus, one time he takes this great big eraser and he goes through the whole thing and he says, all that's gone. Now the enemy hates that. But what he hates more is for you to move on from there to be a follower of Jesus. If you got your sins forgiven, he comes to you and says, that's it. That's all. You went to the border racing and that's all you get. Now just hang on to the end and don't do anything really bad and maybe you'll make it into heaven. And that's the enemy because the enemy is constantly trying to lower our vision of Jesus. I'm going to say this 50 times. The major tactic of the enemy is to reduce our vision of Jesus so we do not give him the glory he deserves, nor follow him the way he deserves to be followed, nor consider it. It says in Timothy that we know we are of him because his ways are not burdensome to us. Well, when the, you love the Lord, it isn't be like when I was dating Helen. Helen, I'm going to get the brunt of a number of these examples because she's my wife. But what, what if Helen and I were engaged and I called up Helen and said, 
um, honey, I'd love to see you this Friday night. If I came over, what, what, what do you think we would do? And she said, well, I don't know. We'll figure out something. I said, that's not good enough. Give me something we'll do that's exciting. Well, do I really love Helen if I've got to come up with something? No. Okay, when you love somebody, you don't do that. You go, honey, is there any way we can get together? You say, well, I'm busy. I've got to study. I've got to do this. Well, what if I come at 1130? Like near midnight. Because when you're in love with somebody, you maneuver things around to get to them. That's the way we're to be with Jesus. And that's the way he already is towards us. He maneuvers things around to get to us. There's a tremendous scripture. I'm jumping around, but I'm going to give this one. Really great scripture. Uh, 2 Samuel 14, 14. And the second part of that verse says, Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. God does not take away life, but God plans ways so that he who is banished is not disconnected from God. Do you know that God planned a way that when we were banished by sin, we would be connected to him? He did it for Stu Kelly, and his path for Stu Kelly was different than Celia Davis. He planned a different way for Celia Davis, who was banished because of sin, to come close to God. Can you believe that? That is such a neat thing about God. Jesus didn't come only to save the whole world. He came to save me. That's why it says in Galatians 2.20, he says, who, gave, who saved me. Paul makes that point. He said, who gave his life and saved me. Not everybody, but me. Jesus made the point to say, don't you know God knows every single hair on your head? Now, for me, that's less of a task. But for somebody like Melody, that's a big task. Okay? The average hair on the head in this place right here is about 120,000 hairs on the head. Jack Logan's doing extremely well for his age. Okay? About 120,000 hairs. And when you take a shower and you lose five or six hairs, God doesn't go, well, five or six down. He goes, I know which one you lost. That was BC476R. And it's down. And I've lost that one now. And you don't have that one again. You see, God knows every single hair on their head. We can't conceive that. He is intimately, personally available and pressing into our lives. He does not stand in the hallway to trip us. He knocks on the door until we answer. And when we open the door, he doesn't say, are you worthy? He comes in and he fellowships with us. You see, Jesus is always knocking. When we get to heaven, one of the things we're going to bemoan, if we bemoan anything, which I doubt, but if we bemoan something, it's going to be that we've called on God to come near. We keep saying, Lord, come down. Lord, come here. Lord, you're invited. I want to give you a piece of a newsflash. He's here. You see, don't you recognize that your temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that Christ in you is the hope of glory? Paul said, don't you know that Jesus lives in you? I keep thinking Jesus is going to knock us on the head and go, right here, right here, right here, right here. I'm right here. You keep asking me to come, I'm right here. Furthermore, I'm already talking to you. I've been talking to you every day, all the time. I'm here. He is here. It is such wonderful. Why should he pay attention to me? Of all people, why should he pay attention to me? But he does pay attention to me. Every day. What if God charged long distance for prayer? What if God said prayer is so important it's $1,000 a minute? We would go, whoa, I've got to earn more money because I've got to pray. He made it free. He always listens. God never puts us on hold. Do you realize what an amazing thing that Paul, when he was in Hebrews writing that, he goes, therefore, since we have access within the veil, let us go in with boldness right up to God. Don't you know how hard it is to get that access to the Most High? And Jesus ripped the veil and made that access. So this is all Jesus' Savior. You can see what's going to happen on the next one. Okay, but, this is, but the Lord is our Savior. He rescues us from sin. He doesn't rescue us from sin with one whiteboard. He rescues us from sin every day. He's rescuing us from sin May 25th. He's rescuing me from sin. I am praying, asking for forgiveness of sin today. It isn't a one-time thing and then hold on to the end. I keep saying that because it's such a prominent myth. And so many young Christians say, well, I gave my heart to the Lord since I was 16, when I was 16, and it's been a rough road since then. And da-da-da-da-da, and they just paint a whole picture of barely hanging on. And you hear them, there's no vision of victory. 
Because their life is not hidden in Christ. Their life is hidden in, I hope I did the right thing then to get me into heaven later. Because the enemy has squinched their vision of Jesus. The tactic of the enemy is to reduce the vision of Jesus. It's a huge tactic of his. So we need to accept Jesus as our Savior. I cannot get rid of my sins, the punishment. Jesus, you're the only one that can. That's very important. Then Jesus is our Lord and King. Huge. It is beyond Jesus as our Savior. And the reason I'm saying that is when you give your life to the Lord, many people give part of their life to the Lord. They may even give 80 or 90% of their life to the Lord, but they don't give the Lord everything. And God is not like that. It isn't like if you've given him 80 or 90%, then that's okay. That's 80 or 90%. Who could ask for more? God is asking for more. I've shared this story before. I will share it again. If Helen came up to me again and said, Honey, I love you more than any man on earth. I love you more than any man on earth. And because I love you more than any man on earth, I'm going to be with you all the time. Except for one Friday night of the month, I'm going to go out with another man. And I would tell her, that is not going to work. She would go, why are you so picky? You get every night. I'm giving you 97% of my time because you're my favorite. And 3% of the time, you're going to be so sticky to hold on to me, I can't go out with another man? Yes. And we can all see the problem with that. But we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, and he is asking for 100% of us. And we cannot wander around over here and toy with sin and evil and pretend we're married to the King of Kings. We cannot do that. And many, many, many Christians have ruined marriages with the Lord because instead of giving them their whole self up, they have decided what part they're going to keep back. And we're going to talk more on that. So giving yourself Jesus as your Lord and King is saying, Jesus, you have my time. You have my money. Not 10% of my money. You have all my money. Specifically, Jack, your 401k plan. Okay, you have my 401k. You have my house. You have the future of all my children. You have everything I'm going to do this week. You have everything I know about myself in terms of knowledge, skills, abilities, and talents. They're all yours. And what you want to do with me is up to you. I am yours. That is Jesus as your Lord and King. And once you do that, lots of things will happen. Lots of things will happen. And we'll talk more about that. But Jesus is so faithful that he will come and take you that way and he'll change you because you've given him the keys to you. And that's what he wants. That's a big step. It's 100%. 95% is nothing like 100%. Remember the story of Helen running around with that other man. I caught her. She, no, I'm just kidding. But it's a terrible thing for that to happen. And that's the way Jesus views it with us as well. But we don't regard Jesus as holy. And we don't regard sin as to be hated. And because we don't regard Jesus as holy, we're okay dictating to him conditions for our fellowship. And because we don't hate evil, we're okay playing with evil. And if we look around at other people, we're going to find many who dictate to Jesus conditions. And we're going to find many who play with evil. And we're going to look and say, I'm like them, I'm okay. And God is looking down and saying, you shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy. You are my bride, how? Can you run around with someone else? And that's what the Lord's saying. When that relationship changes, all sorts of things change. When we move into that place with Jesus, everything changes. But you don't have to wait three months. You don't have to say, well, I'm a young Christian. I can't accept him as my Lord. I've got to get more experience. No. You can accept him as your Lord in 30 minutes. You're going to accept him as your Lord again the next day. You're going to accept him as the Lord again the next day. Every day. We are welcoming Jesus as our Lord, as our bridegroom. Every day. These aren't one-time events that you mark off the calendar. These are the way we live. This is the way we live. But we have to be that way. And then be baptized in water. Jesus said be baptized in water. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more on that. But all the believers were supposed to start being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said... When he talked to the people, he said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you are clothed from power on high. He said, stay in Jerusalem. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in all these places. 
And when we come to Acts, we find that Peter and John went to Samaria because Samaria had received the word of God. And in Acts 8, when Peter and John went there, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. There is a baptism beyond water baptism. There is a receiving of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter and John went to Samaria, they said, you've come this far and you've been water baptized into the name of Jesus. That's great. And now you're to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the same thing happened with Paul. When Paul went to Ephesus in Acts 19, he found people, he found 12 men, and they had also been baptized. But the scripture is very funny. He says, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's what they said. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. That's tough. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you there is a Holy Spirit. And he laid his hands on them, and all 12 men were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So this is the basic equipping. Now, somebody says, well, the Roman road is important. The Roman road is very important. And that's what lets us repent of sin and help us accept Jesus as a Savior. But we need to be telling people more than that. We need to be saying, this is your bridegroom. This is the love of your life. And you've been introduced to him. This is the beginning. When you are saved, you're an infant. And you're to grow to a mature Christian that is the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that needs to be our vision. And you say, well, Jim, that's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do. I could never do it. We could never do it. The only person that could do it is Jesus. He's the only one. And that's why it says in Philippians 1.6 that he who began the good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's why it says in Hebrews 12.2 that Jesus is the author of our faith. And he is finisher. He is the author and the finisher. We couldn't even get faith except Jesus authored it in us. And then the faith that he authors in us is accredited to us as righteousness. It's such an amazingly wonderful piece of good news. The thing he gave us for free now is accredited to us for righteousness. But he's also the finisher of our faith. And we don't have faith. We have faith in Jesus. One of the things that gets confusing is sometimes people will say, well, I'm in the middle of my faith walk. You have to be careful with that wording. What is a faith walk? It's a faith in Jesus walk. Where do you get that faith? Well, Jesus gives me that faith. You see, he supplies our every need. The Bible says in Colossians, for we are complete in him. We're not complete in any other thing. And he is the one that builds. The scripture says of the kingdom of God that a man sows and the plant grows and produces fruit and he knows not how. And that's what happens in the kingdom of God. God plants in us and we don't know how, but he produces the fruit. Jesus produces the fruit. It says in Colossians that they grow with the growth that comes from the head. The head of the church is Jesus. The growth comes from Jesus. So Jesus receives the glory for the growth. And Paul said, I planted Apollos water. It was God who gave the increase. God gives the increase. We don't give the increase. We say yes to God. We say yes. You go, Jim, that's too good to be true. Most things about Jesus are too good to be true. Most things about Jesus are too good to be true. When you sit down and talk to him, you go, oh my goodness. It always amazes me that he created me. Why did he create Jim? He could have skipped me. He didn't have to create me. God wasn't sitting up there going, I got five Ralphs, four John, three Billies, one Jim. We need another Jim. That is not the way it works. It just floors me that the world is so caught up with the way the physical body is created. So our physical body is just a shell for the image of God that's within us, which is our spirit. The Bible says, for God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Genesis, he created man in his own image. The image of God is spirit. The part that he created in us is spirit. In Zechariah 12:1, it says that God creates the spirit in a man. So I'm a doctor, uh, like a doctor doctor, and you, I've delivered a few babies. I can tell you something. 
it's an interesting procedure. I don't want to be an OBGYN person for my whole life. But it's an interesting thing. They come out, and they come out with some pressure. Some won't get into too many details before lunch. But that's a physical birth. And when Nicodemus came up to Jesus, do you know what he said? He said, you must be born again. He said, don't marvel about what I'm telling you. He said, you don't understand the things of the Spirit, but I'm telling you, you must be born of the Spirit. There's a realm that we don't understand in this earthly realm, and this body and toes and nose in something that lasts hundreds and hundreds of years in this body. And we don't want to be. But you see, he created the Spirit within us. He said, I want there to be Stu Kelly. My entire creation will not be good unless there's Stu Kelly. And he made Stu Kelly. That doesn't that blow your mind? Maybe it doesn't blow your mind as much as it does mine. I just love the fact that Jesus made me. And he made me eternal. I'm going to be here forever. You might go, well, I don't know about this guy being here forever. I'm here forever. You're here forever. And he made us to be with him forever. That's just great news that he cared enough about me to make me. So we've we're got to recognize that Jesus comes and there's a basic equipping of the saints. And we need to get young Christians and every Christian at least through this. And this is just the starting point. I want to emphasize again, this is just the basic equipping. This is just saying, I want to get a car. And your dad says, well, does it have an engine? Has it got a transmission? Are there tires? Is there a way to steer? Is there a place to sit? Okay, good. That sounds like a car. That's what this is. This is the basic equipping of the saints. But then he changes us. This gets us into infant status in the Lord. Infant status. And then we grow into the fullness of Christ. So I'm probably going to show this slide several times. Because I want to make sure that anybody that's here that goes, wait a minute, I haven't got part of that. I've repented of some of my sin, but I haven't really repented of the rest. I thought you just had to repent one time and then the rest you just had to be like everybody else. You need to make sure these things are live within you. If you want to have prayer for those things, that would be great. They are very, very important. Now, oh, me, I'm going backwards. Just a second. When Jesus came, though, he preached good news. Jesus preached not the news of the kingdom of God, but he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, it's not just news that Jesus wants to be our king. It's good news. It's very good news. It is the best news. It is the gospel. That's why we call it the gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God is the good news of Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and King. The kingdom of God means the reign of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is Jesus reigning in my life. And why is that? Because he is my bridegroom. His sole desire is for me. And to have the King of kings and Lord of lords in my life reigning is the very best thing that can happen to me. It is great news. I don't care what's on CNN. This is great news. Now, when Jesus came into the world... The angel said, what of Jesus? I bring you good tidings of great joy. Remember that? I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's when Jesus was born. When Jesus enters your life, it is good tidings of great joy. When Jesus enters the problem at work, it is good tidings of great joy. When Jesus enters the traffic on 285, it is good tidings of of great joy. When Jesus enters your worship, it is good tidings of great joy. When Jesus touches your prayer, it is good tidings of great joy. I'm telling you, everywhere Jesus is, everywhere Jesus is invited, it is good tidings of great joy. And you know how many times the enemy has attacked you to say, be discouraged. Be down. I was talking with John here. He said, I know it's going to be a good meeting this morning because coming in here, the enemy is all over me. And sometimes that's how you know something big is going to happen because the enemy stands so much in the way of it. Well, that's right. But see, God has overcome the world. He said, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. He has overcome it. We are not in a battle that we're going, how's this going to turn out? Boy, we better make sure you got reinforcements. You know, when Elisha, the armies were surrounding Elisha and he had his servant there. Elisha did not pray for God to send angels. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. The eyes of the servant were opened 
and he saw the angel and the angelic host. Elisha didn't pray, Lord, send them. He just said, open his eyes. You see, they're here. God is not withdrawn. He is faithful. He is here. And of course, just like God, he brings down all this host of angels and then doesn't use them, but instead takes the whole Assyrian army and blinds them, just blinds them so they can't see. He doesn't even use the angels as if to say, oh, I have all sorts of ways I can do this, which is what he does. He just doesn't do it. He just does it a whole other way. This is our God. You cannot put him in a box. But he does these things. The Lord, when the Lord comes, he is such good news. When he would tell about things, he would say, listen, I'm telling you, someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here. And I'm telling you, someone greater than anyone is here. And that's Jesus. And it is good tidings of great joy. But in addition to being good tidings of great joy, it is serious and important good tidings. The reason I'm telling you this is that people go, okay, good, well, let's just do a a happy and we'll bless this and bless this. And we're not going to deal with the fact that if we don't stop and actually hate sin and repent and push away from it, we cannot invite Jesus in the midst of it. Because iniquity separates us from God. He said, Lord, that thou hast not heard me because I regarded iniquity in my heart. And when we regard iniquity, when we give it a place, God cannot hear our prayers because we regard it. And we look at iniquity and we say, you are welcome to stay here. Now, some of us aren't so formal, but that's what our actions do. You may say, well, look, I've got a sister-in-law and she's just death warmed over. Every time you talk to her, her mouth is polluted. Half the time she's drunk. And when she's not drunk, she's asking for money. Now, you're asking me to be nice to that woman. I just want to disregard her. And God touches you and says, I want you to be nice to her. I'm not going to be nice to her. She's a foul-mouthed person and she already owes me $500. And she doesn't even acknowledge she borrowed the money from me. Well, what I'm going to do is call down vengeance on her. I'll pray for her. I'll get her straightened out. That woman needs some real reckoning with God. Do you hear that heart? What if God treated us that way? We would all be cinders. After Jesus sent out the 70, they got excited because they had power to heal and they had power to cast out demons. And they went through a little town in Samaria and the people didn't pay enough attention to them. And do you know what the 70 turned to Jesus and said? They said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them like Elijah did? And Jesus said, no, no, no. I did not come to condemn but to save. But you see, if God gave us the power we asked him for, there would be tons of cinders all around Atlanta. There would be a number on Buford Highway, I can tell you that. And 285 would be a graveyard. You got me? We can't do that. We're like the 70. We touch a little of God's power and we're calling down fire from heaven. Do you see? But Jesus is saying... Jesus is saying, look, this is serious. Now, this is an important thing. It says of Jesus in Hebrews that God gave him an oil of gladness above his brethren because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness or wickedness. Jesus had an oil of gladness above his brethren because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. In Romans 12, 9, it says, abhor that which is evil. Abhor that which is evil. In Proverbs it says, the love of God includes the hatred of evil. Evil is to be hated, not coddled, not played with. But we coddle it. Now, you look at me and go, man, you're not talking to me. I don't do adultery, murder, I have never done murder, da 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 You read these lists down there and you'll find a bunch of things that we do. Talk about the Lord grabbing hold of your tongue. And the Lord worked with me for years and years and years. He finally said, Jim, you're not listening. You're just not listening. I want to change your tongue. Stop talking about any other person without saying something that builds them up. I can't do that. These stories are too juicy. And what I was doing at work, which I'm ashamed of, was that when something would come my way and I was being put upon, well, I would do it. But I would grab my deputy and give her the lurid details. This sat on this person's desk for three weeks. 
I watched them. They weren't doing any work at all. And now it's on my desk with a two-day due line. And it's an emergency on my part because of ineptitude on their part. But I'll do it. That's what I'm supposed to do. Have you got me? How much of a testimony is that of Jesus? Does that say Jesus is in charge of your schedule, your time, what comes in front of you? No. That means that you're willing to talk down about this person. The Lord got onto me and said, every single person you're about to talk like that about, you just get under and pray about it and don't tell anyone, not one soul, not your wife. He jumped on me on that. And he kept jumping on me because I didn't respond well enough. The Lord wants us to be as Jesus. He wants us to be where people see us, they see Jesus. Oh, this is a great thing. But it is a serious thing. And most Christians aren't serious because they look around amongst other people and say, boy, compared to this room, I'm doing all right. That is not what we're to compare to. We, Jesus said, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I skipped that verse. But that's right what Jesus said. We are to grow to the fullness of the statue of Christ. God's normal for us is Jesus. That's where we're to be. And he'll bring us there. So, it, so I'm just saying, Jesus is great tidings, but he's serious. He's not playing around. Helen and I are engaged. It's engaged to be married. That's serious. It's not playing around. So God's plan is to maximize our fellowship with Jesus, which gives him glory and benefits us. To maximize our fellowship with Jesus. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Satan's plan is just the opposite. It's to minimize our fellowship with Jesus. Ideally, never meet Jesus. If you've met Jesus, only have the smallest relationship with him that you can. That's Satan's plan. Now these are tactics of Satan. This is what's going on. The introduction of Jesus and the kingdom of God is for the purpose that we would be one with the Lord and it would maximize our fellowship with him for his glory, but also for our benefit. Because he loves us, he set it up that way. So he benefits and we benefit. It is wonderful, wonderful news. But there is an active Satan working in our life, whispering in our ear, who is saying, Satan's plan is to minimize our fellowship with Jesus. And that's what he's trying to do. And he will try to make religion, religion, rather than Jesus. He will try to bring in process for the most high. He will try to bring in anything that can substitute. So eventually you go, well, if I'm following God, I have to do this list. I can't get down this list. God's not going to be happy with me. For a long time in my life, I would listen to sermons and the preacher would talk on different Christian virtues. And sometimes they talk on love and patience and kindness. And I would kind of score myself and go, well, how am I doing on those? I never did very good. The patience one was really rough. Okay, I didn't do very well. And the enemy would come and accuse me and say, Dad, gummit, you've been a Christian for how many years and you still haven't got love and patience and kindness down? Well, I surely wouldn't tell anybody about that because you surely should have that down by now. But I didn't have it down because I was trying to generate love and patience and kindness within my flesh. And you cannot generate love and patience and kindness within your flesh. The Bible says the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the love of God is in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus, Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. That's Jesus' Spirit within us, the fruit of Jesus' Spirit. If we could magnify and create Christian virtues, at the end of the day, we would go to God and say, see what I did. And believe me, we would do that. But the Bible says no flesh shall glory in his presence. And we're not going to be able to do it. So it's great news, but we've got to let the Lord be within us and have his way so that fruit grows. And when Jesus described that, he said, if you're producing a lot of fruit, the Father prunes you. The Father is pruning me. He is pruning Miguel. He is pruning every person in this room. He is pruning us so we produce more fruit. Jesus said, if, you, if I love you, I will discipline you. That's not the way we normally preach the gospel, but that's what Jesus is doing. He's changing those things out. And most people in this room, if you look deep, the Holy Spirit is trying to get one thing you've kept in a wedge, and he's trying to jerk it on out, and we've been saying, please don't mess with that. And he wants to get that on out and clean it out, because he's always working to change us. So 
we're going to have a glorious plan with God, but we've got to recognize what, the way the enemy does things. Now, I'm not going to have time to get through much more, so I'm, I'm not going to go much longer. But I feel like the Lord has laid on me 15, <laughs> that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> 15 tactics of Satan that are hindering believers in the United States today. And as we go through things in these next sessions, I'm going to weave these in, but I want to try to at least read them to you today. Okay, and I don't want to read them too fast, but I want to read them and maybe mention a couple of things. The first is religious bondage, and I've mentioned this already, where Jesus, where Satan tries to substitute so-called religious principles and practices that do not exalt Jesus for Jesus. So you begin to be involved in religious processes, but somehow the person of Jesus is off to the side. This is killing Christians. Because you say, come to Jesus, and then the life that you describe is a set of processes that do not exalt Jesus, but they exalt the plans of men. They exalt tons of other things, and they put huge burdens and requirements on you. And Jesus yelled at the scribes and Pharisees for putting burdens and requirements on the people that were not of God. In Mark 7, 9, he said, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God for the tradition of men. You are experts at setting aside the command of God. Unfortunately, too many Christians are experts at setting aside Jesus and then going through with their traditions. This is a big bondage that the enemy pushes. The second one is the deception that our vision of Jesus is about as big as it should be or can be. This is the old, you've arrived. Look at everybody around here. You're about the way they are. This is the way it is. Hang in there. Try not to get too bad arthritis. Don't die of cancer. And try to get on through to the end. And Jesus is saying, listen, you only see this little bit of me. Whatever you're seeing, it's the smallest part of me. Heaven is going to be heaven because we fully know the Father and the Son. And if you look at that and go, that's not so hot. You don't know him. It's what's going to make heaven heaven. So the enemy takes our vision and says, your vision is about right. You don't need to do anything. Our vision is nowhere near where it should be. Paul said, eye is not seen, the ear is not heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart of man, the very thing that God has prepared for them that love him. We haven't seen it. And Paul, who was beaten and had all these things, he said, I regard all these sufferings as not even to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Not even to be compared. I want to tell you something. You beat me one time with 39 lashes. I'm going to talk about it. You tell me that's not worthy to be compared, you got to better have something because you beat me 39 lashes one time. Paul was beaten five times and then a bunch of times other. He had all sorts of things. He said, look, that's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. Our vision is low and the enemy wants to keep it low. Instead of hating evil, we tolerate and play with evil. So I already talked about that. Very, very big. Failure to recognize that he who sins is the slave of sin and in bondage to it. The world believes they control sin. They believe I can go home and I can go to this house of prostitution and have an affair with a woman and I won't tell my wife about it. I'll just tell her every Thursday night I'm at the Masonic Lodge. She'll never know the difference. And here I've got this lover in this house of prostitution and my wife doesn't know. And I'm in control and I am making this sin Please me, I'm in control. Lie, 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 lie. They are deceived. The Bible says he who commits sin is the slave of sin. It's not optional. Sin enslaves. It's not optional. Sin puts us in bondage. To be freed from the greatest bondage, to sin, only Jesus can set us free. But we think we're in control of sin. Now, I don't think anybody here is doing that with your wife. That's an extreme example. But lots of other sins. Oh, I've got it. i got my tongue. I mean, I'm not gossiping. But, you know, let me tell you this. And then gossip, gossip, gossip. How many times? I hate to tell you how many times I hear this. Okay, now this is confidential. And then they tell me something that's confidential. Well, if it's confidential, don't tell me. And it's always about a person. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know y'all know what I'm talking about. 
don't share this with anybody. But if you're starting off a phrase, don't share this with anybody, don't share it. It's fair enough to say, pray for Mary Bell, she needs prayer. That's fine. God knows how to answer that. Luke 18, 1 says that Jesus told him a parable to the effect that men should never get discouraged, but should always pray. That's great. Take a Luke 18, 1 and pray for Mary Bell, but don't go, did you know what Mary Bell did? Now I'm going to give you some background to help your prayers. No, don't, get, don't help their prayers. Just say, Mary Bell needs prayer. Would we pray for her? That's fine. But sometimes they're very juicy. And they're stunning things that you know. And God lets you know more and more things to see if you'll keep your mouth shut. I'm telling you, he does that. Believing happiness is in self-gratification, possession of material things, and recognition from others. 98% of the world believes that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world believes it. And Satan has them believing it. It's a huge deception. Religious pride that categorizes and condemns others rather than building up one another. You know, Paul said, some of you say you belong to Apollos, some say you belong to Peter, some say you belong to Paul. Because you talk that way, saying I belong to this person or this person or this person, this is amazing. Because you talk that way, I know that you're an infant in Christ. That one characteristic you talked about being associated with it. What if I was to say, okay, we're just going to name this group. We're going to call this group the non-denominational, charismatic, pro-God, liberating fellowship. Okay? There's not one of those out there, I know, so we'll be the first one. But you wait five weeks, and they'll put, well, I can't even say it again, the non-denominational, whatever that was I said. They'll make a bucket for it. Oh, I know what you are. Yeah, non-denominational charismatic. That's close enough. I've got a bucket for non-denominational charismatics. Okay? And by the way, non-denominational charismatics have these problems, which, because you're in that bucket, you have these problems. Do you hear me? You come up to somebody and say, well, I'm a Baptist. Well, you're a Baptist. Well, don't you, why don't you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Well, I'm a spirit-filled Baptist. You can't be a spirit-filled Baptist. You've got to jump out of the Baptist if you're going to be spirit-filled. Do you see what we do? We're just messing around in things. And when Jesus talks, what does he say? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, and then it says, in Christ there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, Baptist nor Methodist, Presbyterian nor Pentecostal. In Christ there is neither. There is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ these things aren't there. And in the Bible, the only distinction of being a Christian is in Christ. Every single book in the New Testament talks about the believers. What are the believers? Those in Christ. That is the distinction that makes you a believer. Not whether you're a Baptist. Not whether you're a Pentecostal. That's not it. And just because you look at people and think about them with those tags, Paul says, I know that you're an infant in Christ because you do that one thing. Is that scathing? That scathed me. But we do this. We do this among Christians. We create categories and then tell what's wrong with you because you're in that category. This is really rough. One time in my life, the way I ended up meeting Mary Ann was the Lord worked a thing and said, I got an invitation to preach at a Catholic church. Well, I wasn't going to preach in a Catholic church. You go into Catholic church, they've got statues of things roaming around. I don't believe in those statues. And I wasn't going to go in there. And the Lord jumped all over me and he said, you don't determine where you're going. And I said, well, I know I gave you my time in my life, but not this. You see, most of us retain veto power. We're willing to ask God, but then we retain veto power. One of the things I have to pray about today is getting, giving up veto power. If God said it, I'm going to do it. That's it. The rest is incidental. If God said it, we're doing it. The question is discernment. Can I discern God? That's the question. Not, if God said it, will I do it? While we're at this place where we say, if God said it, I might not do it, and I might do it. We we're not his bride. This is like saying, we could get married. Tell me, what do you think again you're going to make in 15 years? Will it be over $150,000? That's what we do to Jesus. We put conditions. Tell me about this road. Before I was a Christian, God kept me from being a Christian because Satan, not, not God didn't keep me from being a Christian. Back up. Satan kept me from being a Christian 
by coming to me saying, Jim, if you're a Christian, you've got to commit all the way. And if you commit all the way, who are the most serious Christians you know? Well, they were missionaries. And I said, I'll have to be a missionary. And then Satan said to me, not only a missionary, you're going to Borneo. Borneo. That's Borneo. Malaysia. You're going to Malaysia. And back then he was saying, and you know what they got in Borneo? They got big mosquitoes and open latrines. And you've got to go there. Well, I'll just give you a clue. I hate big mosquitoes and I abhor open latrines. I hate it. And for about a year and a half, I resisted the Lord because I knew if I went, I had to go all the way. And the enemy was getting a hold of me. But God, so gracious is God, he just pounded on me. He just pounded on me so there was nowhere to go except to him, and I was desperate. And I had a tremendous prayer of faith in my life. I know how many of you met the Lord. This is my prayer of faith, how I gave my life to the Lord. I said, Lord, my hair, my life is like hair with chewing gum. And if you think you can straighten it out, you can have a shot at it. That was my prayer of faith. How much opening to a door did I give God? Oh, about a tiny little bit. And what did God do? Did he say, what a ridiculous prayer. You think I'm going to honor some sort of shod thing like that? He did not. He went, you open the door, I'm coming in. And he came in and he changed everything. Because he is faithful and loving. And he seeks us out. You see, he came from above to rescue us below. No religion on earth does God ever come to rescue. Every religion on earth, man has got to ascend to somehow please some deity that's a demon. God is the only one who stepped down and rescued. So we cannot categorize and condemn others. We cannot do that. We're infants if we even do that. Is that a, that's a shameful thing for me to admit how, many, how long I've done that. Often I'll read something on the internet and I'll go, let me go to the about section and see what group this guy's associated with. And God just slapped me around and said, stop doing that. I can give revelation all over the place. I'm going to share a vision I had, and this may mean good or not to you, but it helped me so much. The Lord showed me a mountain. And at the bottom of the mountain were two people standing together. And both of them said, well, I'm going to pursue the Lord. And one guy went up this way, in the top of the mountains here. He went up this way, and another guy went off at right angles. Well, how could the will of the Lord be with this man and with this man? But do you know what happened? As this man kept going, he rounded the mountain this way, and he rounded the mountain this way, and they both ended up at the top. Because God took two people down two paths to the same place. <clears throat> but he showed it to me on the surface of a mountain, just like that. And he said, do not tell me that my hand is short or that I'm limited to work in a certain way. Because you see, I'm devising plans to take him who is banished from me and not have him cut off from me. And he does it. And he's very good at it. And he knows what to do. We've got to be careful for that. We have to be underneath people. Then to believe, believers seeking to be served rather than to serve. It is news to many Christians that Jesus said, I came to serve and not to be served. And we are sent out the same way. We'll talk more on that later. I think that one's obvious. Insisting that Jesus be power or wisdom rather than power and wisdom. Now this is a whole big talk. But the Bible says that, that Jesus confounds the Jews because the Jews seek a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. To the Jews, Jesus is a stumbling block but to the Greeks, he is foolishness. But to the believer, Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now you look at what Satan has done amongst the church. Again, this is getting a little bit deep, but we're in here today. Okay, Look what Satan has done amongst the church. He has one group saying, you believe in phenomena and seeing things happen, and you're not grounded in the word. But my group, we're grounded in the Word. We know the Word of God. We can tell you the wise things of God. And we don't go after phenomenon and flip to the left and flip to the right. We are grounded. And these people over here are saying, you've just never experienced the independent move of the Spirit of God. You can be grounded in one thing. That's nice, but God's got more. And so, you know, you need to get a whole bunch more of this. And he tries, the enemy tries to break out camps and say, okay, you're in the ooey-gooey feeling camp. And you're in the highly intellectual camp, and we have conferences for highly intellectuals in, in religion, and we have conferences for ooey-gooey feelings, 
and sometimes you can go, but you don't often mix them. Because that's saying Jesus is the wisdom of God, and this is saying Jesus is the power. I want to tell you something. The scripture says that Jesus is the power of God, and Jesus is the wisdom of God. And God is looking for people who are well grounded in the word, who will absolutely let the Holy Spirit do whatever they want, planned or unplanned, on the agenda. And believe me, things will happen. When Jesus walked around, he did both. He preached the word of God, and he said unto them, the word that I give you is spirit and life. And he also healed everyone who was sick and cast out demons from everybody that had demons and said to them, since I cast out these demons, you know the kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay, more on that later. Hope you all come back because there's more on that later. But that's, isn't that neat? Uh, to me, that is so good. Setting aside the commandments of God for the tradition of men. We talked about that. Very, very bad. Jesus yelled at the Pharisees about it. We do it all the time. Teaching that the gospel is mostly worldly blessings that we can maneuver God to give us. Do you watch TV? If you open up the TV and you watch 10 minutes, some guy is going to convince you that this particular season of time is for you to be blessed by giving him money or her money. It doesn't take 10 minutes. Just go through it, go through it. Therefore, I'm offering you the chance to participate in this season of time and give me money and get a blessing. The whole end is that you get a blessing. We look and say to Jesus, Lord, again, I, I'm, Helen will beat me up after this, but what if Helen came to me and she just said, you know, honey, I really like you because we're making enough money now that I can buy all the potted plants I want and I can even get a new car in two years. And so I like you for what you give me. Well, I don't object to that. That's not a bad thing, but I hate that to be the whole basis of our relationship. Many, many Christians move from church to church to church, try to find a move of God, a flow of something, so that they can get worldly blessings, and the enemy coddles to it left and right and left and right. And where are the people that are saying, Jesus is the treasure in the middle of the field? All the blessings of God in Ephesians 1.3 are found in Jesus. The yes and amen to every promise of God is Jesus. Jesus is life. Where are the Christians holding up Jesus so that all will be drawn unto him? That's what we're called to do. But that is not what's happening. And if you're at Emory University looking around on TV trying to figure out the gospel, you have got a hard road to hope. It's a hard thing to figure out. The exaltation, oh, okay, little recognition or thanks that Jesus within us is the hope of glory. I mentioned this before. Jesus is within us. It is not only good news, it is great news. The Bible says the riches of the glory of this mystery. Jesus within us first is a mystery. Second, it's a glorious mystery. And then it's a glorious mystery that's richly glorious. Have you got that? So we're laying on adjectives. It's a mystery. It's a glorious mystery. And it's a richly glorious mystery. And Paul prays, I pray that God will open up your mind that you see the richness. You know, when my mom can cook cakes, and Kathy knows this really well, she can make a German chocolate cake and a banana cake. I'm going to bet could take 90% of the people here on a diet and you'll just say, well, not today. I'm having some of this. I mean, it is a cake. Kathy can tell you more how many kinds of chocolate are in there. It is delicious. It is fantastic. It is rich. This has got glory and riches of glory. And Paul's saying, I'm praying God will open up your mind to the riches of glory of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason we can be transformed from glory to glory to glory to the image of Christ is not because of us. It's because of Christ who's within us. Oh, it's a great thing, and we'll talk more on that. The exaltation of the knowledge of man above God. I'm out of time, so I'm just going to say that's a big one. Believing that partial surrender to Jesus is full surrender. Regarding God as common rather than holy. Little understanding that to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. So we're going to weave these things in. But from now on, what we're going to do is talk about... What does it mean when you get equipped as a saint and you start walking with Jesus? And what does it mean to grow from an infant to a mature person? 
what God has done to make all that happen and what Satan is trying to do to stop it. And we're going to talk about that for two years. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about. And you're going to hear the name of Jesus a lot of times because he is the solution to every single way. And as we get to know him more, we recognize that every problem finds its solution in him. That's why it says in Colossians, you are complete in him. Therefore, have the roots of your being in Jesus be planted in him. That's why it says in John 15, abide in him and he will abide in you. You abide in me and I'll abide in you. So that's a little overview of things to come. Okay, maybe a long overview of things to come. Okay, and so we won't necessarily talk this long each time. I know this was a long one, but it sets the stage for a lot of things. And I think it'll give you an idea, hopefully, that this can be a special time. We're going to have a time here. I'm going to have a prayer that I'm going to ask Miguel to come forward. And we're going to have a time just of body ministry. Now, Miguel, for those of you who don't know, Miguel is a wonderful man. He'll be very willing to pray for you. He's anointed of the Lord a special way. Kathy's here. Um, Helen's here. These, I know women that are here, all anointed of God. If you, if you say, I would just like somebody to pray for me, that I could get better control of my tongue, so they're standing with me, come forward. These people will pray with you. You don't have to come and say, I'm a bad, bad, bad person. If there's something in your life that you just want somebody to pray with you about, if you just say, you know, I've kind of walked not so close to Jesus and I want to walk close enough that those mosquitoes are yelling power in the blood. You know, I want to be so close to him, I don't fail him. I just need forgiveness because I've just not been t sensitive to him. If you want someone to pray with you, they're not going to go around going, well, we prayed for him. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the bad things that she confessed. This is none of that. All these people in here are godly people. I can tell you that for a fact. And you can come, and this is ministering one to another. If you have somebody in another pew and you say, I'd just like to go talk to Eleanor and get her advice on something, this is an okay thing to do. But we're going to have a worshipful time before the Lord. So people can come forward to be prayed for if you want to be prayed for. If you want to ask somebody else, that'll be fine. And um, uh, Brother Miguel, I'm just going to hand you the microphone and let you proceed as you've seen best.